following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a world that is constantly changing and has been constantly changing. We pray as your people, we want to live in your light. As we read today in 1 John, we want to be in that light. Lord, we know that to grow, there is a process of changing who we are to be more and more like you. And so Lord, we ask and we pray that you would show us that way. In your son Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. It is a wisdom book written by Solomon and some of the uh, priests, thought leaders of his time. There's the teacher shows up over and over again. In Hebrew, it is Koheleth. It is this teacher who shows up over and over again. But the first, in the first chapter of that book, there's a couple verses that I love, and here's what it is. Ecclesiastes 1, 7 through 9. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. This is one of those pick-me-up verses in scripture, right? You're like, Lord, I just need this morning some positivity. And Solomon shows up and goes, LOL, bro, here is this. Because what he's saying is as he looks at the world, he will repeat a phrase over and over. Everything is vanity. It doesn't matter. Who cares? And it's great because he gets real back and forth on it. Because sometimes he's like, woe is me, the streams flow to the ocean, but the ocean doesn't fill up, who cares? And other times he's like, hey, listen, you got one life. Have some wine, have some cake, have a good time. And I'm like, now that's the scripture verse I want. But what we see in this opening verses here in the first chapter is something that has helped me and my worldview as I continue to grow. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. As humans, we can't help but live in kind of the hundred years before us. That when we look at our lives, they have been informed by all of history, but really those last hundred years are really what is at work now. And it's easy for us to have a myopic outlook where we zoom in at this one place and say, this is how the world is. And then the other phrase that follows it, and it's so different than it was. And you could make that argument. Just look at what's happening in the world around us today. Everything seems to be changing. Social constructs, political alliances, 
Just the world as a whole seems to be in a constant state of flux. Remember when you used to roll in and McDonald's had a dollar menu? And you could actually eat and be full. That doesn't happen anymore. The world seems to be continually changing. This week, as I was online, you know, as my personal FBI agent makes sure all of my ads relate to me, they, I have been getting over and over advertisements for a certain software that helps pastors write sermons. Basically, it's an electronic way that you can access a bunch of different books so that you can eliminate the giant library that's in your house. The problem is you're paying double what you would pay for that library. It's a whole thing, but it's a great program. But what is the thing they are now pushing? Chat GPT. You too can have AI connected to your sermon writing program. You can do it. Now listen, I texted with my brother-in-law who is MIT trained, undergrad and grad school. The Navy put him through. He is brilliant. What he is doing currently is he works for a company that's contracting out to build basically a fancy pulley system that mimics the gravity on Mars. You can connect something as small as a human or as big as a rover, and he understands how it works. I would look at it and go, ah, magic. But he goes, I don't know, I just spend all day doing this and this and then, and there it goes. So I text him, I go, hey, Andrew, chat GPT, is this something fun or Skynet? Skynet being the computer that kills everyone in Terminator. And his response was a simple gif that just is a little girl shrugging, going, why not both? And we live in this age where you can take it and use it in so many different ways. I decided to play around with it, and I just went in and typed up, give me a 500-word answer to the basics of Lutheran theology. It spit it out in under a minute, and I thought, this is better than what I would have done. <laughs> it was incredible. You used to have to open a book and formulate thoughts, and now a computer just goes, here you go. But think about how that's changing our world as artificial intelligence, which is a little bit of a misnomer. It's not gonna get to that Skynet level, but it does do a lot. We're talking about it before church. And it's how are we integrating it into the work we're already doing? Because as humans, what we wanna keep doing is making our lives just a little bit easier. So we look at all this technology, we look at the shifting landscape around us, we look at the fact that everything seems to be in flux and in change, and we go, the world has never experienced this before. And guess what, 500 years ago, they were saying that about the printing press. They thought, the lightning speed, we can print a book in two whole days. When we went to Germany this last year to go and do um, some following in Luther's footsteps and this big passion play. Germany is about the printing press. They're like, listen, we invented it, number one. Every place we walked into had a printing press display. And I was like, okay, you did it. An ancient Xerox. 
Good job, Germany, right? Like we even went to the Gutenberg Museum. I went through about one exhibit and thought, they did it. <laughs> I'm proud of you. It was cool. They had a little museum of stuff that went back like Gutenberg had printed it. But like, it was literally like, look at this printing press. Wow. Look at this printing press. Cool. Look at this printing press. I'm like, I think that was the same one from over there. Like, it would be like walking into a fax museum, right? Going, oh man, they used to use telephone lines to send messages. But it's this thing that we get caught up in what's right around us. And we get into this piece of saying, no one has experienced what we've experienced. This changing world, the brokenness we see, the societal ideas, no one could understand what that's like. And where I wanna start us today is looking and saying, there is nothing new under the sun. That in fact, as we look at how the world seems to be veering from things we've understood, this is not new. In fact, for us as Christians, one of our core confessions is the idea of original sin. Sin. And in original sin, we look and we say, listen, in the beginning, God created, and he looks out and he says, it is good. But what happens is humanity veers from that, and what was good now breaks. And if our confession is looking back and saying, the world is inherently broken, then as we look out at the world, we shouldn't say, this is all so new and different. Are we experiencing it in a different way than we used to? Sure, 100%. But I actually find comfort in going, I am not the first person of faith to experience this process. I am not the first one to encounter worldviews that are counter to what scripture teaches us. Because nothing is new under the sun. And if nothing is new under the sun, I think there's actually a piece of hope in there. That as we read it, it can seem anti-hope. It can seem very, just like, you know, Solomon is writing and going, well, the world's terrible, so what? But I see this hope that says, there's nothing new under the sun. And when God looked at the world that there was nothing new under the sun that he created that was broken, he didn't walk away. He didn't leave it where it was. And so for us, it would be against who we are to say that the world is inherently different than it was 50 years ago. Have things changed? Sure. But our confession is that 50 years ago, people needed Jesus just as much as they do today. That who we say that we are actually gets lost if we let go of the idea of sin. Because if we start saying 
hey, listen, yeah, no, the world has gotten better. We're actually walking away from what we would call a biblical worldview and we'd be walking more towards a humanistic utopian worldview. Because if we start looking and saying, listen, the world of 2023 is so much better than the world of 1523. Listen, there are certain things, showers, close to the top. AC, definitely the top, right? The Lord has blessed us to live in this time of air conditioning. But what we confess and what we say is that the world does not get better. We have a chance as people of faith to step into it. And we're gonna get to that in a second, but our confession actually looks and says, there is no way to create utopia here. And so we can get focused sometimes on how broken everything seems because we think somehow if we just do the right things, then everything will be right. And that worldview is actually one that confesses against what God says because what God says is, listen, it's broken. Here is a savior. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't look and say, but God tells us something and how the world works. And so we as a people acknowledge our sin. Why do every week do we start with the same thing? You could roll in here, narrative six years ago, narrative today, and the front half, well, we started doing it on the front. Just listen, the confession absolution part, we've been doing the whole time, all right? You roll in pretty much the same as it's always been. Why do we do that every week? Because we wanna be reminded if we lose sight of the fact that we live in a fallen world, because when we lose sight of that fact, we start losing sight of the need of a savior. When I tell you, I'm not here asking you to confess your sins so you feel bad. I want you to confess your sins so you remember, and Jesus is with me. This was our reading from this morning. This is the message we have heard from him. So this is him, Jesus. He has said this to us and we proclaim to you. I love the word proclaim right there because I could explain it to you. I could give you how salvation works, what Jesus does. The proclamation is saying it is for you. We can explain and talk about it, but the proclamation is this is for you. So as this is written by John, he's saying, listen, what we have heard from Jesus, we say to you for your benefit, not just as an understanding of theology, but theology applied to your life. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That is good news. God is light and in him is no darkness. In a world where we see darkness everywhere, we know what true north is. We know who God is and what he has done. And we have fellowship with him. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now that is amazing. Because not only are you forgiven, you're given community. We have fellowship with one another. That in your forgiveness, you are gifted a family. 
you are not alone. That when you are forgiven, you step into a place where you say, I stand amongst the saints together. Now it's interesting because if you look at what's around this, this is our confession every week. Because it would be easy to say, oh no, what do I need to do to walk in the light? What do I do? But what this verse is surrounded by is, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. And the truth is not in you. So how do we have this truth that it's saying here that we get this light? How do we walk in the light? We admit that we have darkness. That that's what we do to walk in the light. We think, oh, I got to do all these things. And instead, Jesus says, right, come to me, you who are heavy, like laden. I'll give you rest. And so we look at this idea from 1 John, and we look at the world, and we say, we can see the brokenness, but we confess it in ourselves because that brings us back to the cross. And it gifts us community. So how, when we confess and we live in that community and we walk in the light, how does that play out as we walk into the world? Because listen, even though we are in a very strange physical church, right? They threw me off this morning because that microwave over there is backwards. I don't know why, but there it is. When we walk in here, we have turned a cafeteria into a church every week. For a while, we did it at a beer garden. Praise the Lord, we're back here where the AC blows. But we do that in this place and we get to do that. But when we walk out the doors, life is a little bit different, even than church in a cafeteria. And as we walk out from here, how does walking in the light look the rest of the week? Paul would write to the church in Ephesus and say this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every way into he who is the head into Christ. When we walk out of these doors, we're learning as we walk in truth or as we walk in light, it's walking in truth in love. This is a tough thing because we as humans want to pick one. We want to say, this is the truth. And so what we will do is we will tell everyone what the truth is and we'll yell at them and we'll yell louder and louder and tell them, yeah, we love you, you idiot, right? Like that's what we're trying to do. Like here's the truth. And when we shout it louder, that is our love for you. But then on the opposite side, we might say, well, I love you. And if I love you, I don't wanna hurt your feelings. I don't wanna overstep. I don't wanna do more. And so we kind of, truth becomes less important. And it all, all of a sudden truth becomes a little more malleable and we can fit it around things. And we say love, but the problem is love becomes this strange thing. And we start excusing sin, but what happens is we lose sight on both sides of walking in the light. That if Jesus is the light and we walk in him, the way we walk in it is by grace, by what we, he has done. And so we have truth, we have love, but we don't separate them. It is the truth in love. I'll owe Larry Wright a quarter today because I'm gonna use one of his great sayings, which is, 
The tension is tight. When we live truth in love, that tension is tight. We look and we say, I can't just shout down people with truth. But on the opposite side, I can't just excuse what's going on around me. But I live in this tension that says truth and love actually coexist together. And they come together in me because of what the Savior has done that if I am going to walk into this world and try and walk in light, it means that the truth is gonna offend some people. It means that I'm gonna have to stand in some places and people are gonna say, what you believe is wrong. And I'll have to say, okay, I hear you. But there are gonna be other places where I'm going to walk in love to see where the Lord is leading me. But love is never separated from truth and truth is, truth is never separated from love. I got to sit um, last summer at our national youth gathering um, and my good friend, uh, Mark Pulliam was teaching and he talked a lot about in his session on truth and love and how much we love to separate those two things because that's our humanity. We want one or the other. Living in tension is hard. Living in tension is suffering. Living in tension isn't always straightforward. But truth and love hold in them a way for us to encounter the world that reflects not us, but a savior who would know the truth, who would look at us and say, you are a broken creation. There is nothing you can do to redeem yourself but his love would be so deep that he would say, and that doesn't matter because I will go to the cross for you. And so as we look at the world, as we step out of this cafeteria this week, we encounter it in truth and love. Over the next two weeks, we're gonna dive into truth. We're gonna dive into love. We're gonna look at those two things separately to see how they interplay with each other. But if we want to be in the light, if we want to walk in the light, it starts at that confession of sin. That we say, this is who I am because I know who my Savior is. This is what I'm about because I know what he has done. That walking in the light is actually not about my actions. It's about his light shining on me. Let's pray. Lord, as your people, open our hearts to hear your word. Lord, may what we heard today sink into who we are. May it begin to transform those places in our lives where we may think we have truth or we may think we're being loving. Lord, may you come in and teach us what it means to be your people, to live with truth in love. Lord, may we, may we be reminded over and over that the greatest truth given to us in love is that you would not leave us where we were, but you would send your son to die for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.